You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And we come to you right now asking your Spirit, who was sent to glorify your Son, your Spirit, who was promised and sent to guide us into all truth, Lord. As we open your word right now, would your Spirit, Lord, lead us and guide us, Lord. Illuminate the very words that your Spirit inspired the apostles to write down. And so, God, we we pray, God, that you would move in this place. Lord, I pray that it would not be my voice that would be heard, not my word that would be heard, but that it would be your voice, that it would be your word, because it's your word that transforms us, that renews our mind, that allows us to understand your good and your perfect will. And so, God, we pray that you would help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. As you're doing that, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. As you can see, we're a portable church. We don't have a pew Bibles. We just have awesome ushers. And so uh, we're Harvest Bible Chapel. Bible's in our middle name. We want to make sure everyone has an opportunity to follow along. So don't be shy. Just put your hand up or holler at them. And uh, we want to make sure everyone has a chance to follow along in God's Word today. Um, We're really excited. Today is a baptism service. And really my intention right now now is just to sort of give you um, a behind-the-scenes look at what is actually going on uh, when someone is baptized. You know, we love those behind-the-scenes details. We love sort of the work that, that the team at Hockey Night in Canada does to, to show us about how teams or players prepare for a certain game. We love the food network that, that shows us how these, these incredible chefs, these, these, these uh, incredibly talented people are able to produce such delicious food and some of the drama that goes along with that. We, we fasten, we're fascinated with things like the JFK assassination where just documents were just even recently uh, released this week to to try to get more insight into what was actually happening behind the scenes. And today we're going to hear the stories of of, uh, Julia and Julia, actually, two two young ladies named uh, Julia. They're going to share their story, but behind their story, something had been happening behind the scenes. And, And what happened behind the scenes in their life is actually the same as what happened in my life. And in fact, what we're going to find in Acts chapter 8 is that working behind the scenes of everyone's life, that there is a God who loves us and is relentlessly reaching out to us for relationship. That there is a loving God who relentlessly reaches out to us for relationship. So we're going to see three things that happen in in one individual's life as God is reaching out into his life and he ends up getting baptized just like these two young ladies are going to be baptized at this service uh, this morning. So we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Now the book of Acts is really God reaching out desiring to be in relationship with people. Jesus, after he had died on the cross, was buried, had risen again, and right before he went up to the Father in heaven, he told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 7, 
They, they hadn't gone to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. They had only stayed in Jerusalem. That was like the city, and Judea was the province, and Samaria was a, a province north of there, and the ends of the earth, that's pretty self-explanatory. But they were staying there in Jerusalem. And then at the end of chapter 7, the beginning of chapter 8, God, who wants to reach people, who wants to reach out to people in relationship, he allowed some things to take place so that that would happen. And so persecution began. Stephen was, was the first Christian to be uh, martyred. And because of that, then greater persecution started happening in the city of Jerusalem. And guess where they went? They went out into the broader areas of the province. They found themselves in Judea. And the persecution continued, so they spread out into Samaria. And one of the people that went to Samaria was this individual named Philip. And he's the one that's mentioned in verse 26 of chapter 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Philip was one of these people who was in Jerusalem and then went into Judea and then into Samaria. Now, Philip's original role, he sort of had this mundane task. He was first mentioned in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the guys that was chosen to basically be a table waiter. Uh, he was chosen to, to serve the food to people and to clean up the dishes afterwards so that the apostles could focus on preaching and the word. But as Philip got thrust out of his comfort zone, thrust out of Jerusalem and then onto Judea and Samaria, Philip started teaching. He was so excited about what God had done in his life, he started teaching other people. And he, by God's grace, he ended up being quite good at it. And amazing things started happening. He went into Samaria... And, 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 and normally Jewish people and Samaritan people, they don't even talk to one another. But Philip started witnessing to these Samaritans. They were coming to Christ. Miracles were happening. Huge crowds were, 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 were growing. And this was all happening. Little Philip, just this simple guy who was just a waiter who was cleaning up tables. And then God appeared to him and said, I want you to go down to this road that goes from Jerusalem uh, to Gaza. Now Gaza, that's, that's a place that's in the news quite often, the Gaza Strip. And uh, there was a highly, that, that's a highly contentious uh, portion of real estate. Very significant. But at the time, look how it's described. It's, it's, a, it's a desert place. It wasn't a significant place at all. And Philip must have been scratching his head saying, Lord, why are you, why are you telling me to leave Samaria... All of this great stuff is happening. The miraculous is happening. People are getting saved. There's these big crowds. And you want me to go where there's no one? You want me to go to this desert place? It must have been very confusing for Philip. Verse 27 says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The reason why God wanted Philip to leave the crowd to go to this desert place is because God was relentlessly pursuing this Ethiopian for a relationship with him. And God is doing that in your life. He has done that in my life. And here's, here's the first thing I want you to understand. With, with just about everyone's testimony, it starts something like this. God will put his people in your path. God will put his people in your path. Maybe God put his people in your path by allowing you to be born in a Christian home. Maybe God put his people in your path by introducing you to a Christian friend or a Christian school teacher or a Christian co-worker or a Christian neighbor. But just like God made this arrangement 
For Philip to meet this Ethiopian, God is continually making these kind of arrangements for us. Now, this was not at all convenient for Philip. You see, in, in, verse, in verse 27 it says, then he rose and went. And that's classic biblical narrative understatement, right? Well, like, then I rose and went to the fridge. Right? Well, like, then I rose and went to Tim Hortons. I don't know why I'm thinking so much about food right now. Maybe I should have had more breakfast. But we think about, you know, I rose and went. He just took a short little trip. Then we're talking from Samaria to this road on the, on the way to Gaza was at least 300 kilometers. It would be like walking out of William Gage School today and starting east until you got to Kingston, Ontario. If you walked eight hours a day at a pretty good pace, it would take you over a week to get there. And so for, in order for Philip just to get to this desert place, he had to travel all of this way. Why? Because God wanted to put him on the path of this Ethiopian. There are no coincidental encounters, only providential appointments. And so you need to, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe, maybe Julia or one of Julia's family members invited you to come here today, you are here today for a reason. The John family or the Veenster family are in your life for a reason. God has made that appointment. He has put his people in your path. And I love the, the, if you look around this room right now, I love the diversity. When we talk about his people, we're not just talking about white European people, which so often people confuse Christianity as being a, a white man's religion. Here we, have, uh, here we have a guy from the Middle East talking to someone from Africa. Sounds a lot like Brampton. And, and, and here we have, this is his people. God has never just intended to, 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 to zero in on a, a certain group of people. Even his chosen people were supposed to be a blessing to the nations. God has always had a heart for the nations. And who is this person that God wanted to draw to himself? It says that he was, he was an Ethiopian. It also says that he was a eunuch. So that means that he was castrated. Maybe it was uh, some sort of deformity from birth. Maybe it was a result of some sort of accident. Or maybe it was intentional. You see, eunuchs were, were often specially chosen or made if they were going to have a job like this person had. You see, he worked for the queen of Ethiopia. This, she was not a ruling queen. She was sort of like the queen mother. Her son was the king. But he was in charge of all of her treasury. He was like the finance minister. And I'm not sure how many people would sign up to be a ministers of parliament if castration was a requirement. But in the ancient, in the ancient Near East, in, in the ancient world, one of the ways to guarantee that there would be no scandal would be to surround the royal family with, with castrated people so that there was, there was no hope of any of that sort of scandal taking place. So we don't know the details of 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 why he was a eunuch, but he was uh, certainly one. And he, he certainly had it all. He had a great job. He had a position. He's, he's driving around in his own chariot. And yet he, he went all the way from Ethiopia to travel all the way to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way back, he's reading the prophet Isaiah. Then in verse 29 it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, 
Do you understand what you're reading? Now remember, he's in a chariot, and so you've got these noisy wheels, you've got horses uh, trotting along, and so it wasn't so much as, do you understand what you're, what you're reading? It was more like, do you understand what you're reading? And then, and then the, the Ethiopian wasn't just simply saying, how can I unless someone guides me? Again, this be really noisy. Make some noises with your feet right now. Everyone just join me in. So, he's, so he goes along, how can I unless someone guides me? And so this is all, he's, he was told to run to the chariot. And so he ran up behind it and he starts shouting back and forth. And listen, if maybe you're that person that, that God, you've, God has specifically appointed you to be on the path of someone who doesn't yet know him. And he's relentlessly reaching into that person's life for a relationship. But listen, sometimes you're going to have to take that bold step. I mean, he was running up to the chariot of someone who was very close to the royal family of a very powerful nation. The, 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 the Nubian uh, a dynasty, the royalty in, in Ethiopia, he, was just, he just ran right up to the chariot and started yelling. Some of us need that encouragement, that challenge, that prompting by the Spirit just to be a little bold, to go and start up a conversation. And, and the guy was... The guy was reading the Bible. God was already preparing Philip to meet this person. So he'll put his people in your path. Also make note of this. God wants to put his word in your ear. He wants to put his word in your ear. Maybe right now, this is you hearing Acts chapter 8 read. Maybe this is the very first time you've ever heard the Bible read ever. Maybe you've read the Bible before. Maybe you've seen some biblical themes before on television or in movies or in books that you've read. Maybe you took a world religions class in college. But whatever your exposure, your background is to the Bible, there's, there's something that you need to understand about the Bible. No, Bible no, no book has been published so prolifically, has been translated so extensively, but also no book has been criticized so relentlessly. And has been banned so universally. There's something about this book. You go to any university library. I mean there's entire rooms filled with shelves. Filled with books and journals and articles. All for the sole purpose of trying to disprove the historical or theological veracity and validity of this book. There's, there isn't a similar section... About the Bhagavad Gita, I know someone, someone who had a Hindu background said I wasn't pronouncing that right, or the Upanishads or, or, or the Vedas. There aren't similar sections trying to disprove the stories of, of Vishnu or, or Shiva. There, there aren't similar sections about the Quran. There aren't similar sections about the Guru Granth, Granth Sahib. All of these other holy books. Why is there this particular concern to criticize and pull apart this book? Why is it that when, when an autocratic dictator tries to take over, a, take over a nation or a region and wants to weed out religion, why is the Bible the main concern? You see, there's something about this book. You see, the amazing thing about this book is not strictly its theology, what it teaches us about God. The amazing thing about this book is its anthropology, what it teaches us about what it means to be human. And my life has been transformed by this, this, this book, not just because it has introduced me and helped me to understand who God is, 
But because it's been like a mirror for me, it's helped me to see who I am and how badly I need God in my life. And so my challenge to you is maybe you've just sort of dismissed the Bible. Maybe you heard some university lecture uh, uh, about, about the Bible. Maybe you, you, someone sent you some link on YouTube about why you can't uh, trust the Bible. Or maybe just you've never bothered to pick it up. My challenge to you would be, just, just do what this Ethiopian was doing. Just read it. I want to give you just a, a three-week challenge. Take the Gospel of John. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. And just read a chapter a day. And just read it with a notepad. And, and, and jot down questions that you have. Chances are you're not going to understand. You'll be, probably be surprised at how clear it is. And how straightforward the Bible's teaching is. But also, if you have questions, jot them down. This is the passage that, that he was reading. It says, um, verse 32, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that, that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? You see, he's got a question. And so read the Bible, and if you have questions about the Bible, God will put someone in your path to help you answer them. And, and don't think, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Well, name one. Well, you didn't, no one can really understand that. Well, what part about the Bible don't you understand? Ask questions. God's not afraid of questions. And if you're here today and, and, and you do believe the Bible, I want to give you the same challenge. Maybe it's not the book of John, but maybe it's another book of the Bible. To take the next three weeks and intentionally study the Bible. To take the rest of your life, really, and intentionally study the Bible. If someone were to come up, or someone were to be brought into your life, just like Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, and asked you a question about the Bible, how ready are you to answer it? Or are you just thinking, well, I'll just... I'll just, I'll just pass him off to, or her off to, 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 to a pastor or, or, or to, to someone else. Well, what if you're in a desert place like Philip was? Philip didn't have, you know, the Apostle Peter on speed dial. He just, he, he knew the answer himself because he was a student of God's word. And if you have questions yourself, write them down and then ask someone who's more mature in the faith. We need to be devoted to God's word. He wants to put his word in our ear. So here's his question in verse 34. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? So the passage of scripture that he was reading was Isaiah chapter 53. And there is quite a debate among biblical scholars, uh, Christian biblical scholars and Jewish biblical scholars and then atheistic biblical scholars about, about who, who is being described in Isaiah 53. And, and so Philip answers the question, but let, let's take a look at, Janelle read this passage earlier before we sang that last song. This is the broader context of Isaiah 53. You can turn in your Bibles if you want. I'm going to be starting at verse 6, but it's going to be up here on the screen for you. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. I mentioned the Bible tells us just as much about anthropology as it does about theology. What's this telling us about us as humans? That we're like sheep. That we're vulnerable, that we're weak, and that we're just followers. 
and that we unwisely have all gone away from the safety and the pasture of our shepherd and we've gone our own way. That's what Isaiah 53 says. It says, all we like sheep have gone his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So someone, this, this, this mystery person that the Ethiopian is trying to figure out, has had the iniquity, the sin, the guilt, the shame of us all has been put on this person. Now, the question that the Ethiopian asked, is he writing about himself? Is Isaiah writing about himself? Well, grammatically it wouldn't make sense. If he's writing about himself, why would he say the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all? Isaiah is including himself as part of the us, so he can't be the him. Because he would have said, the Lord has laid the iniquity of them on me. So he can't be talking about himself. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Keep reading. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Now, some people would say that the, the, the book of I, Isaiah was, was or the Isaiah 53 is describing not Isaiah specifically, but it's this metaphor for the people of God, for the people of Israel. But again, it can't, that can't be true because it says he was stricken for the transgression of of my people. So the people are not are not the, the people can't be stricken for their own for their own iniquity. There's there's a substitution that's happening here. Someone is standing in the gap. Someone is taking the blame. And keep reading. And then it it goes on to say and they made his grave with the wicked and and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This person that Isaiah was writing about had done no violence. Hadn't Hadn't sinned by any sort of action. There was no deceit in his mouth. Had never told a lie. So now we're really having to narrow our focus about who this person could be. They've they've never done anything wrong. They've never said anything wrong. So this person is a perfect person. And this perfect person was led away. Even we're all like sheep who have gone astray. This perfect person was led away like a lamb to the slaughter. And this person had never done anything wrong. Now look back at verse 35 of Acts chapter 8. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. He told him that 700 years before Jesus came into this world, that Isaiah had written Isaiah 53 about Jesus, that he was the one who was going to bear the iniquity of us all, that he was the one who was going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 36 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. See, loved ones, God will put his people in your path. He will put his word in your ear because he ultimately wants to do this. He wants to put his joy in your heart. He wants to put his joy in your heart. So that's our third point. He wants to put his joy in your heart heart. And so this 
this eunuch went away rejoicing. Why did he go away rejoicing? Well, let's review. So he's from Ethiopia. He's a eunuch. He had just gone to Jerusalem to worship. What would have been his experience of worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem? If you're not familiar with it, with the way the temple worked, the way the Old Testament temple worked, it was essentially a series of concentric cubes. And there was this one small cube, a, a tiny room, almost like a closet. That was called the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And, and, and that, is, that was the, the symbolic dwelling place of God. And God, God cannot be fit in a box, okay? You can't contain God in a temple or much more in a room or even in a box. But it was a picture of the, the, the epicenter of where God dwells and no one was allowed in there only only once a year one priest after going through all of these rituals and sacrifices was allowed to to enter into that place so that was the first cube and then there was another place called uh, the holy place and again fewer and fewer people were were allowed in that one and then there was sort of another set of walls and uh, and then only a certain group of people were allowed in there and then another set of walls and so the whole temple was set up with wall after wall staircase after staircase curtain after curtain barrier after barrier and this the temple was this visual tangible reminder of our separation from God now because he was an Ethiopian and not a, a descendant of Abraham, there, w- there would have been a, a, a certain barrier, a place where other people, Jewish people, could continue on closer in the temple and worship the Lord. But he could go no further because of his nationality. Also, because of the fact that he was castrated, the fact that he was a eunuch, there, there would have been another barrier. So even he wasn't even allowed to go further than, than other Ethiopians. And so when this eunuch went to worship, all he would have experienced, his experience of worship, was wall after wall after wall. The idea that God is somehow foreign and distant. But Philip showed from Isaiah 53 that God is is not desiring to remain distant from us. That he is relentlessly reaching into our lives for a relationship. And he told the good news of Jesus. And what did Isaiah 53 say? It said, all we like sheep have gone astray, but that Jesus was led like a, like a lamb to the slaughter. This would have been something else that the Ethiopian would have witnessed when he was worshiping at Jerusalem. He would have seen the steady stream of livestock going in to the temple. Because sacrifice was, was, was at the heart of how people worshipped then. People would put their hands on the head of an animal so as to say, what's about to happen to this animal should happen to me. This is what I deserve to happen to me because of my sin. They'd put their hand on the head of the animal, able to feel the pulse flowing through that animal's neck, and then that animal would be slain. As a a reminder of the consequences of sin. Romans 3.23, it's gruesome, isn't it? But it's a a vivid reminder that that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. And so this Ethiopian would have thought of the fact that this person in Isaiah 53, is he like those lambs that are going into the temple? And and. Is he the one who is going to take all of our 
iniquity. And that was the good news that Philip would have shared with him. That Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, that he was like a lamb that went to the slaughter. And it was as though all of us had put our hand on that lamb and say, what is about to happen to him on the cross is what, all, what should happen to all of us. Jesus took the blame for all of our sin. He was punished as though he had lived our life. Even though he had done nothing wrong. And then Philip no doubt would have told him the, the incredible thing that happened when Jesus died on the cross. That in the temple, in that ultimate, that, that, that holy of holy section of the temple, there was this massive curtain. A symbol of our separation from God and that that, temple was, that, that curtain was torn in two. Showing that the wall between us and God, ultimately because of our sin, that those walls are being broken down. And that God desires to have a relationship with him. And so that's why, after Philip was carried away miraculously, it says that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. He was filled with joy because he knew, he knew that God had made a way for him to be in a relationship he knew that God had made a way for him to be forgiven of his sins. And so he said, here's some water. What stops me from being baptized? And baptism is a sign that, that we are aligning ourselves with what the Bible teaches. That we believe in Jesus. First off, it happens in water. Which is you know, sort of the ultimate cleanser. It's the ultimate solvent. And so it's a symbol of cleansing. Cleansing from our sin. But also you go right under the water and you're not breathing when you're underwater. It's a symbol of death. But we don't keep you under. We, we pull you right back up. It, it, it's, a, it's a sign of resurrection and newness of life. And it's a statement of identification. You see, this Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing because the fact that he was a eunuch, that no longer defined him. The fact that he was an Ethiopian, that no longer defined him. The, all, his ultimate identity was that he was now a son of the Father because Jesus Christ, the Son, had made that possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as Julia and Julia come forward, they are going to declare that they are a daughter of God. And they have been made a daughter because the Son died for them. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter for them. And they're going to go on their way rejoicing. Because God has made that possible. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.